0: everybody and welcome to the sunny 16 podcast it is hot 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 and i'm not just talking about graham's shirt off selfies here um <laughs> it is genuinely like meteorologically hot and uh, i can say that that is true the night that we are recording this week across the whole breadth of the united kingdom because well the whole breadth of england anyway and the length of it because we've got good representation geographically today um uh, see and as you can already tell uh, the sun has gone to my head and uh i'm talking gibberish even more so than usual but we'll should we start the show let's start the Do you show let's start the show, start the start the show? Start no no no, no. On, I was no, no, no it. Well, that was fine that was fine I'm just trying to uh to 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 yeah okay let's just go with it shall we let's just write well, it's a hot summer night you know and uh we can just yeah we can just talk we can chat we can chat well okay so Rach let's let's hear from you first how are you doing
1: I'm okay I was just having a quick swig of water because I've had to shut the window and shut the door and switch off the fan and everything obviously because we're recording and I'm upstairs in a in an old Victorian house and there's like no air anywhere so uh, I can already feel the heat going to (laughs) to okay
0: so anything you want to say make sure you say it in the next 20 minutes then before you fall over before we flag, yes, absolutely, will do. <laughs> I, I i don't envy you, actually. I'm, I'm fortunate enough, I, I've got a door open beside me. So if you hear sounds of like, you know, birds nesting, not nesting, what do they do at night? I don't know. Anyway, making Fruit. noises, yes, uh, then that'll be because I've got the door open. Um, well anyway, let, let's hear from our uh, Midlands correspondent, Graham. How are you doing there, buddy?
2: I am not in the Midlands. This is Oxfordshire. This is far, far too sophisticated and civilized to be considered part of the Midlands. No offense to the most of my family that comes from the Midlands. I am um, not doing too okay. bad, thanks. thanks. Well, no, f- full offence to you. You're from the wrong <laughs> side. You're from the rough side of the Midlands. Um, I have uh, spent a fun day. Uh, I've spent all my fun days out in this lovely, lovely sun. Um, and today that's largely involved getting scratched and torn apart by roses and up a very, very high ladder, which I don't like, with my head shoved into this vine with bugs climbing over me whilst trying to sort of face the fear of falling to my death and being hot at the same time. It's great. Hey, diddly D, a A gardener's life for me. Anybody want a job swap, please? <laughs> like a job really swap with an ice it. cream man or something for a week or two. <laughs> that would be quite nice. I'd eat my profits.
0: <laughs> OK, OK, OK. So so the three of us in various states of disarray, then. Um, let's hope that our super special guest for the week can carry the show. Um, Rachel, would you like to introduce our guest?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, actually, I had the pleasure of speaking with our guest um, already on the Underexposed, uh, a sister show podcast. Um, So this is the lovely lady uh, called Nikki Cully. And um, she's basically uh, a photography artist uh, who was originally a financial journalist in London and gave it up to do an art history masters in Manchester. Was it 2014, Nikki? it was. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we had a really nice chat, uh, like, like I say, on the Underexposed uh, podcast uh, probably a couple of months ago. But unfortunately, as I'm sure you'll remember and maybe our listeners will as well. Uh, there were some slight technical issues in the middle of that as well. Uh, I was recording that using the handheld mic, uh, mic recorder. So to make everything a little bit more comfortable, I put it into the centre of the room left it recording so we weren't concentrating on that and can just have a conversation but unfortunately it meant that I didn't realise that it had stopped recording. Um, just the really uh, sort of important and interesting part as we got to talking about your project and your upcoming project. So when you sent me a message recently uh, to say oh that's actually coming up soon with, with the exhibition I thought it'd be really nice to get you on the show and find out a little bit more about it. So uh, welcome to the show Nikki. Yeah thank you for having and- me. It's uh, it's really lovely to have a chat with you again, and I know it's a very strange concept when you sort of can't see each other, because obviously before we were sitting in a room together, weren't we? <laughs> and that was very nice. Um, but this time, obviously, we're doing this over Skype. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, kind of where we left off from, from Underexposed? Obviously, you were talking to us about how you got into photography in the first place, uh, but maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you came to being part of the Red Eye Network's Lightbox programme and the upcoming project. that'd be brilliant
3: so red eye is a social enterprise in manchester and it's called the photography network so it just brings photographers together and it runs lots of cool events to help develop people around the northwest and elsewhere if they want to travel as well and they put together three artist collectives last september they do it every year so there's roughly groups of six to eight Mm -hmm. so i've been put together with five other photographers all totally different backgrounds, different ages, everything. So it's been a really interesting experience in lots of different ways.
1: Mm. And so the nice. collective that you're now part of is the is it Unio or am I pronouncing that correctly? Is that right? Yes, it's Unio. Unio, sorry, Unio collective. Okay. Yeah, and um, and so you're are you all based in the northwest? So someone is in London, someone mm. is in Bangor, and
3: then there's four of us in Manchester. Wow. So a lot of it takes place over a, a virtual platform called Slack. I don't know if anyone knows about that. Mm-hmm. so it just adds this whole layer of different challenges. but we we do try to meet every every Monday virtually and in person when we can. Fantastic. so it's, it's been good
1: you know different ways of working and everything like that. So in terms of the other people that you're paired with now you say photography, I, I is that in general or is it all analog photographers? So actually, I think I'm the only analog photographer. Mm-hmm.
3: Some of the others do film as well, but um, like one of them, for example, I think I spoke in the last um, one that we did. He is a really he's got a lot of experience. So he's been in photojournalism for about thirty years. So he learned everything in the darkroom. So he was in the days where they would like print a photograph for the newspapers and it got sent through the pipes.
1: Mm-hmm. And things like wow! That.
3: So it's really pneumatic like pipes. So- yeah, like the proper old school thing. So when he's talking to me, I find that really interesting. But he's kind of ditched it all now and he's really, really into digital. Mm-hmm. Actually, having said that, he does use an old Mamiya clockwork camera, which he's also mm-hmm. like inspired me to use as well. So he does go back to it. But I think he he's very much of the feeling that digital gives you more sort of um,
1: high quality results. Okay, okay. We talked um, last time about the Mamiya, I think, because you had just bought one or were interested in one. Is that right? Yeah, the Mamiya RB67. So it's absolutely massive and it's
3: really heavy. <laughs> and The whole thing is clockwork. So theoretically, you can never break it. Or okay. at least if you break it, you can fix it. That's the theory. <laughs> That's the theory. I like it. The, um, it's, uh, it's absolutely amazing. I really... Because it it just... I really like film photography anyway because it's quite slow and it slows everything down because digital can be more like instantaneous Mm -hmm. so with this one it's even slower and you really have to take your time over it and you
1: only get eight shots out of a roll as well so you have to work even harder for them so I quite like that. Fantastic so what frame what frame size are you looking at with that? So that's a six by
3: seven. Ah. Is this your first
1: is this your first six by seven camera first medium format camera?
3: I was using a Yashica one two four mat G mat before, so that was like the twin lens, and I really loved that. But um, it's a little bit limiting because, you know, you can only have that one option of how it looks and things like that. Whereas I find the Mamiya a bit more um, versatile because you can kind of move it out on the bellows and things like that. So I just find it a bit more interactive
1: to use than the twin lens is quite fixed. Mm, absolutely. So, so a few more options for you with this one. Yeah, I think so. Excellent. So you've obviously come to analogue photography relatively recently in the last three years or so. Is that right? Yeah, I actually, um, the first time, my dad gave me a camera
3: when I was like 12. So I've, I've been sort of doing it ever since then. And the sort of first time I did it, I was teaching, like properly did it that I can remember was I was teaching on Camp America in a dark room on like a, on like an arts camp in New York. So I was teaching all the kids darkroom photography in there. And I, and I think from then, it was just a seed that got planted because
1: I absolutely loved it. So I really that's loved that awesome. whole manual, creating photographs. That sounds amazing. Was that part of your art history masters or was that before oh, that,
3: that? That was a long time ago now. That was when I was like 20. So that's like 12 years ago but it was just like you know you would go into this it was like this old wooden veranda and one of them had been turned into a dark room just in the middle of nowhere because it's in New York State so that these camps are like near lakes and things like that and the kids would just go in and, and they would do all their photographs and you'd spend so long in the dark and doing the trays and then they'd like run out onto the veranda and it was so hot and they'd just sit there on the veranda looking at them waiting for them to dry in the sun and things like that so I really nice memories from them. That
1: makes sense. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. How did you end up getting a job like that? Because that's it's quite interesting. I I always think to to see how how sort of like this winding path takes us all in in various different ways, and and you suddenly end up in a situation and think, how on earth did I end up here? (laughs) Yeah, because I
3: feel like without you realizing it, something in you takes you to those situations. Mm -hmm. Because when you look back, it always tends to follow the same sort of path. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So even back then, I must have been interested in it because mm. I, I didn't even really know how to use a dart room. So to end up there teaching kids, you know, I must have said something <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> and then it worked out. So it was fine. But yeah. Fantastic. So you've been doing it obviously for quite a while, but um, this uh, being part of the UNIO uh, collective, is that the first kind of collective you've been part of? It's the first
3: collective I've been part of, and it's it's the first time, to be honest, that I've made sort of proper work for an exhibition or to a set theme Mm -hmm. so for me it's like a first of everything like as an artist and everything you know so so it's kind of been it's been really nice to to kind of do it all in one go it's been quite intense Mm. but I've learned quite a lot so
1: far what kinds of things have been most surprising to you do you think uh with the photography Mm, yeah with the photography
3: for me it's been I feel like I come up against this a lot where with photography, especially now because there's a lot of digital um printers and they're absolutely amazing. And some of the digital photographs you, you see that have been taken with really superb digital cameras, you know, they're absolutely amazing. And I, I just never want to take anything away from that. I just feel like sometimes I'll make a photograph in the dark room and it and it's taken me days to make it and it and it just looks so far away from perfect. You know, where you've left a bit of dust on the lens and it's- <laughs> made a little white spot and when people look at the photograph they start like trying to brush it off and things like that
1: that's the only
3: bloody thing you can see is that one little spot of dust (laughs) and it's like oh my god And you see it forever forever but um but then there's there's something else in it for me so the the project I've been working on this time was very much looking at things and photographing like items and, and objects so I like the idea that you know, I made things in the photographs, you know, I like that I can hold them at the end and, ha- and have something to show mm. for it. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel a bit like putting all my work up in this exhibition coming up is a little bit nerve wracking, because I know that they just don't look perfect. And they don't look like what people might expect photographs to look like. So that's always a bit of a funny one to to try and navigate. I found that mm. quite difficult.
1: Mm. yeah so the actual um program itself the lightbox program uh, that was something that you applied for isn't it how did you come across that and and how did that kind of come about in the first place
3: i think i was part of their newsletter because if you're a manchester and you're a photographer it's just like you're probably going to be part of the red eye because they're really really great some of the stuff that they do and they're really well connected in the northwest photography wise as well so there's always like lots of opportunities And mm-hmm. they just um I'd seen it, the light box thing, and I'd had so much rejection to try and get my photographs like seen and also commissions that I'd applied for over the course of about a year that I just sort of didn't apply for it. And then on the last day, I thought, oh, you know what, I'll just I'll just put it in and see what happens. And then I ended up getting a place which I was really, really chuffed about. And that was all based on the photographs you submitted. So, I, you know, I couldn't have had more of a boost to my confidence with that as a starting
1: point. Fantastic. So you're talking about how as part of that, obviously, you've now got an upcoming exhibition. And that is um, a part of the Liverpool Biennial. Is that correct? It's the Liverpool Biennial Fringe. So it's called Independence Biennial. And
3: it's run by Art in Liverpool, which Mm. is the arts listing publication. And it's in partnership with the Liverpool Biennial. I Mm -hmm. just have to kind of confirm that it's not actually Liverpool Biennial because they have their own
1: separate brand okay yeah so it's the the fringe event to that um and uh, presumably also happening every two years if it's the, yeah, uh, the fringe bonus year. um and so this is um so this is an exhibition that you're going to be part of as as part of the unio unio collective um tell us a little bit about what it is that is you've been working on because i think that was the point where uh, unfortunately, the recording kind of like just started to cut out, or we we ended up losing you there uh, just as we were getting to the point that we were talking about the exhibition. And I know at that time as well, uh, you were kind of like, "Oh, we've got things that are going to be happening, but I haven't really gathered my ideas together about what it is I want to do." So, um, can you tell us a little bit about the start of that process and where you're at now with it?
3: Yeah, I think when we last spoke, I think, I think a lot of things like weren't happening very well actually I don't think I'd started printing I didn't really know where I was going with it and I think we just got rejected from funding as well is that right? right?
1: Yeah I believe uh, I remember you coming in and saying yes so we've applied for this funding and we've just had the rejection letter today so uh, at that point it all felt a little bit oh gosh what's the next step from here so um, tell us about what happened after you left if you like so about um we resubmitted for arts council funding Mm -hmm. and um
3: about four weeks ago we we were granted quite a large grant for it so it totally turned everything around and it was amazing but also after the initial euphoria died down where we were all like sharing pictures of our like alcoholic beverages on our online platform (laughs) we just realized that we had four weeks to now do like a lot of work because this funding has obviously created a lot of more opportunities for us to do things like zines and stuff like that so we've kind of just been in that for the last four weeks and um it's it's been really great it's just um it's just all backed up a little bit but hopefully it's all going to come together I'm hopeful and for my project I finished my prints last week so mm. I've sent them off to get framed. And I think, I think I've think i got something I'm happy with. But I think um, last time I didn't really know where I was going. And now I decided to, basically, one of the photographs I took was, um, should I describe the project? Yes, to- please. Yes, that would be really yeah. nice. I'd like to hear that. So it's called Things Outlast Us. And I basically found some old postcards in an old junk shop in Liverpool. And I traced them backwards and I found the family who used to live at this property that they'd all been sent to. And sadly, the recipients, this um, husband and wife had died. But I managed to locate their son, who um, who I met. And he was really interested in the project I was hoping to do. And we met in a coffee shop and he brought in all these old photographs of his parents. And he told me all these stories about them. And then he told me about all these amazing things that he'd kept to remember them. So like um, old books and letters and photographs frames and there's like cups from when his dad was a chairman at the golf club and things like that so um so he lent me all these things and I've just been photographing them as like a still life project Mm -hmm. it was about getting to know these two people who I never met through the memories attached to these things that he told me about so what I decided to do was one of the photographs I've taken is like an open page of one of the diaries that his dad used to keep and I've blown it up into a massive blue back. So it's going to be like three metres wide by 2.4 metres tall. And the whole diary page is going to fill the wall. So that's going to be my backdrop for the other prints that are going to sit on the top of it.
1: Wow. That's so amazing. This, uh,
3: yeah. so, I, so I've definitely moved on from the
1: last time we spoke where I think I was just generally insecure about what the hell I was doing. <laughs> you would mentioned um, that you were, I mean, it's just fascinating, isn't it, really, when you think, actually, these are all just this whole project has come from a random look through uh, you know a box at the junk shop (laughs) where you found this this bunch of postcards or what was what was it that appealed to you about those in particular? I first
3: went into this junk shop when I was at uni there which in Liverpool which was about 10 years ago and there's there's just something about like because obviously they're just it's just in a little box near the door because they're kind of like the last remnants of house clearances and all the other big stuff that they're, they're selling in there. And, and it's just, there's something fascinating about just reading something that someone wrote exactly as they wrote it, like maybe 60, 70 years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, I find that fascinating because, because they're still sort of there
1: and they're still Mm -hmm. in existence and you can read them. So I don't know what it is that fascinating about that. Yeah, it's it's, it's it, I'm really yeah. interested personally in that idea of legacy and loss and, and you know, all, all the things that we we create or hoard or you know, or how we use them and store them and that kind of thing um for future generations as well. So it's really lovely that you managed to track down the sun as well and it sounds like this has been quite an organic process actually.
3: Yeah, it's been really it's been really fascinating. And actually once I got the collection of things because I had to go down and to his house he lives in South End now so I went all the way down there to pick them all up and once I got them home and I put them all in my drawers and stuff there was just this moment where like I was just on my own and it was all really quiet and I looked at them and actually it was just a really sad project and I hadn't really realized that until I until I sort of got to that point with it it's actually mm. a lot about loss and collecting things to remember people and how like things especially that you keep they, they just hold so many stories. You know, like photographs, essentially. Photographs mm. are kind of like things, aren't they? Yeah.
1: The yeah. Um, analog prints, absolutely. Objects, tangible objects that you hold in your hand and, you know, can put under your pillow or put in a locket or, you know, carry around with you. And, um, like, the physicality of... of of printing and um photography in general I think is is quite powerful. Um so so am I right, is what you're doing then, Nikki, with these objects is that you're setting them up into still lives and then taking images of those? Yeah, I set them up um with the help of the, the other collective member that i was
3: talking about mm-hmm. who has all the experience. I'd never done a still life before and to be honest I really struggled with it and my my negatives were very questionable. Mm. So I had all these really overlit um things in the in the negatives but he, he showed me how to you know the pop-up backgrounds the black ones yeah he showed me how to put that up and how to move it far away from the objects and the sort of apertures to use so that the background wasn't you know flaws on the backdrop weren't in the photograph and things like that Excellent. but to be honest actually when I got to the dark room I hadn't really enjoyed it and I kind of regretted doing it because still life wasn't something I'd done before and I was kind of losing motivation and then when I got to the dark room I just remembered everything that that I loved about photography and that's definitely where it comes back alive for me the bit in the dark room so Mm -hmm. when I got there if anything when a negative is a little bit overexposed or you know it's, it's not been exposed properly I feel like I feel like you have to work harder in the dark room, and it almost makes the process more creative in some ways.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: That's anyway, and, and I quite enjoy that. I quite enjoy
1: the challenge. You set up your so, own dark room, didn't you? I think. Yes, I did. Yeah, in my house. And and uh, have you used that a lot outside of kind of your work in in printing, like for your own uh, sort of like personal kind of projects, or did you set that up specifically with this project in mind? Yeah, I set it up like
3: about. Two years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two years ago. After It was after that art history master's where I had a bit of a change of direction career-wise. And I just <laughs> Not got... kidding. <laughs> From a financial journalist in London. <laughs> <laughs> to, but the uh... thing is, when I was a financial journalist in London, a lot of the time I was thinking, how did I get here? And that wasn't a path <laughs> that when I look back on, I now I, I still don't understand how I ended up there. I mean, it was fun and it was a great experience, but photography and the more creative stuff is definitely more me than that ever was. Mm.
1: Yeah. So uh, you've sort of found your way back to it, I guess, and in a way.
3: Yeah, I think so. I think when you're at school as well, people sort of tell you that, you know, that there's, there's not much value put into art and creative things, you know, in terms of getting a job that's going to pay money and, and things like that. And mm-hmm. you, know, you don't really understand, do you? Whereas now I'm in my 30s, I feel like I've, I've got a bit more choice. And so I'm lucky that I've had the choice to go back to it in some
1: ways. Fantastic. I was um, looking at the Unio Collective uh, website, obviously, about the exhibition itself. So, um, that, tell us when that's launching and and uh, where that's going to be. So that's launching on the thirteenth of July in the Adelphi
3: Hotel, which is dead central in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And um, we've now got funding, so there's going to be a lot of wine. <laughs> so, it's going to be a really good night. And we've got some live music now as well, which actually has been brought in to tie in with one of the other collective's photographs. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like ambient, atmospheric music. So, it should be quite cool. Uh, so, that's going on on the 13th from 5 pm till late. Mm-hmm. And after that, it's showing all weekend into the Monday, 9 a.m. till 9 pm.
1: Fantastic. Because unfortunately, you were very, you very kindly said, if, uh, if we wanted an invite, that I could come down to see it. And I was so excited about that. But unfortunately, I'm not going to be around that day. So it's great to know that it'll be on over the weekend. Is it only on over the weekend or will it be continuing or moving to a new home after that? Well, actually, after that, what also
3: happened recently, which was quite cool, was the Independence Biennial, um, which is the fringe for the Liverpool Biennial. Mm-hmm um they we applied for like a a reshowing of it and they've taken over the massive empty george henry lee's department building which is um which used to be a massive department store Mm -hmm. and they've given us and another collective from red eye called disparity collective they're really cool as well so i'll just mention them um they've given us the whole of the top floor and it will be a place where not only we're going to reshow the, these exhibitions that we're already showing at the Adelphi, mm-hmm. but it will be like a developing space over four months. So I think I'm going to take my dark room there and we're going to do like workshops and events and get other artists in and really just make a really cool use of that space. That sounds awesome. And that, that, and will run till October, so. that Sorry, say that again for me,
1: Nikki. Sorry. That will run till October. Oh, wonderful. So a long time that's brilliant isn't it so it's been a real sort of like turnaround of of fortunes hasn't it from the last time we spoke actually um there's less insecurity (laughs) (laughs) so well that's great I mean it's great great to see you know actually it's sort of a phoenix rising from the flames almost isn't it you know you were kind of like okay we've got this fantastic project and this great collective and we're all working together and learning from each other and then finding out that you didn't get that funding was obviously I imagine quite a quite a blow at the time um but you know you you guys have sort of rallied and uh, and come back stronger with this with this exhibition so that's that's amazing and uh yeah congrats on that that's brilliant news um so so what what after this if you've got your Friday the 13th ex- exhibition launch and then you've got your your four months doing um work with did you say it was the disparity collective that you're running this space in the department? yeah yes. Um, what what's next for you as part of the as part of the the light box or the project is that running for a little bit longer or does that finish then? um I think that'll be the end of the light box thing because it is kind of like an unofficial
3: masters I guess so so you do it for like a year and this has been the end point and everything that it turns into so when it comes to October I I don't really know I've kind of got a lot of um similar styles to a couple of the girls in the collective so we've been talking about doing other things and there's lot, There's other festivals that we might take the exhibition to. I've, I've actually started a, a new project, which is my first like move into colour, because one of the things that's happened on this Lightbox experience is that I've realised that actually getting Photoshop and still working in negatives, but maybe working in colour and not using dark rooms sometimes might be quite interesting for me to do as well. Mm, so new challenges then coming up. Amazing maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to let it go because there's so much you can do with black and white mm-hmm. you know that you can put a lot of yourself into the prints and things like that so so i'll have to see how that goes
1: um obviously myself and, and and graham we both um print ourselves and and develop in the in the dark room and what have you aid doesn't do his own home developing but we're working on him aren't we <laughs> always always, <laughs> always you're
0: working i'm a project myself you see but... <laughs>
1: you sure are um I, I don't know if there's any um any other questions about the exhibition from you guys from uh, graham or aid anything else
2: yeah actually um um nikki Obviously, this exhibition um is very much kind of it's not just photography. It's the words. it's you know it, it's um it's all about the items that you were in the first place. Is this something that you've with your art done before? Has it always been something that's been quite sort of um multi-dimensional, or is this a new thing for you um where it's more than just the pictures?
3: I think. I think what I realized on this project was how much of yourself is in the photographs you take, even though it's of other things. I I hadn't really realized that before, but um, actually for me, my dad gave me his camera and I know everybody says that, but for him, and actually for me in a lot of ways, you know, when you've just had like a really noisy week, I just feel like film photography, especially you can just it's just like a foolproof way of of just having really quiet moments because everything, everything slows down and you're so immersed in it. And so I think I think there's something in that for me and sort of keeping moments. And there's definitely there's definitely my relationship with my dad in my work, I would say. I would say. I think I think in my family as well, there's been quite a lot of loss, like when I was growing up and a lot of bereavement. So I wonder if that kind of filters through in, in where I end up, you know, with the postcards to the family and then taking the pictures of all the things. So I, I think there's a lot of myself in, in the project in that
2: way. And do you okay. think because I mean it must be quite te- well i don't know you you mentioned about the fact that people look on careers in the arts as being difficult because of the financial side but this is the step that you've taken um how is that do you look at this and go okay well i've had success with this do you think well maybe i should do more stuff like this do you think well okay now i've done this i the next thing has to be something completely different um how or or are you in a position where you feel like you can just very much go with whatever grabs you next
3: um in terms of like you mean making enough money to live and things like that as well
2: yeah just the real of of this being a career rather than a hobby which it is for for most people
3: yeah it's quite difficult because in an ideal world you just do it all the time and you wouldn't have to worry about the money side of things but actually especially when you're making art there just there isn't really money in it unless you get to the point where people are collecting it in galleries and things which which may realistically never happen um so actually what I've been thinking about doing so I have had to think about this at the minute I work in the coffee shop at the Lowry on a zero hours contract which is really really fun but I think I probably I've got I'm lucky enough to have a husband by the way as well that that helps me with this and supports me financially so so I'm really lucky to have that but I think what I've decided to do is next year I think I'm gonna train to be an art therapist so I can use my work and hopefully start introducing the idea of photography as an art form as well, which people don't necessarily look on yet, and and especially with the dark room because you're using your hands a lot. So I'm so I'm looking at where that could go, and that could be like a profession where I join both of them together. I think. I'm yeah. Quite sustainable in that way.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, this is this is the the ongoing thing that you're dealing with, isn't it, Rachel? Of of yep. making <laughs> your, a career yep. in photography a viable thing that you can live off and and make work and as you yeah. you were saying nikki just making photographs isn't going to get you there unless you happen to be one of the naught point whatever it is percent that somebody everybody wants the prints of. it's it's difficult uh,
1: yeah i think in general you have to be quite flexible, you have to be quite open, and um, just generally quite inventive about how you approach things and opportunities you say yes to, or opportunities you go out and seek yourself, I guess. Um, generally, you 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 know, there's no sort of set pathway through this kind of murky world. It's, uh, you have to make your own, really. Um, and I came across a, a term earlier this week, which was about being multi-passionate, and about using all these various different strands of your interests and your life and bringing them together uh, in a way and saying actually that's okay you know to do that that you can move from one thing to another or you can join various different passions together to create the right career for you um, and that that's also okay Um, but it's just maybe a slightly more unusual and slightly more challenging route to go down yeah because you do amazing at that Rachel don't you you do lots of creative things I'm just a juggler, <laughs> a creative yep. juggler. A creative juggler. Thank you. I'll need an outfit for that.
2: <laughs> so, Nikki, I'm intrigued because you said that you, you, looking back, you're not quite sure how you ended up as a financial journalist. Um, what What was your kind of career path? What were you setting off to do in life? What you where Where was the plan supposed to go?
3: Um, I, when I was at school doing my A levels. I, I went into a careers meeting, you know, where, where you sit down with someone and you start discussing what you want to do and what university you want to go to. And mm-hmm. I somehow came out of that, like deciding to do European law at Dundee University. That, that's, that's why I came out of that meeting. And, and I still have no idea where that came from because it couldn't be further away from <laughs> anything that I'm good at or, or could be good at. So I went down that route. And then around the July before the September I was due to go, I had a bit of a meltdown. And then I ended up at Sunderland University through clearing, doing an art foundation course. And then I just sort of lost my way for a couple of years, didn't really know what I was doing. And then I found myself at Liverpool University two years after that and eventually did a degree from beginning to end in English literature. And then I just sort of thought, I I really want to be a journalist. And then I just sort of went to be a journalist and then it all just happened, basically.
2: That is a fairly random way to end up somewhere, I guess.
3: I just the the because I ended up at the Financial Times and it was just one of those it was one of those things I got um the course I went down there to do to be a journalist because I guess journalism is quite creative as well mm-hmm. in a lot of respects yeah so it's not too far away from you know why I ended up doing that but um yeah I, I was on a placement at the Financial Times every Friday as part of this journalist course that I was doing down there and at the end it was like the last week of the course and. Everyone on the course was panicking about what jobs they were going to get and things like that. And the features writer on the paper that I was working on just happened to just randomly leave. So they they got me into an office and basically just said, "Would you like the job?" And then and then that was it. You know that that was it. And then you can't say no to the Financial Times, can you, at that stage? And, and so I just I just ended up in in financial journalism
2: from there. And was it hard to walk away from that? I mean, when you, especially when you feel like you've, you know, had quite a, an amazing, lucky break in the first place to get straight in there, was it hard to go? Okay, actually, no. You know, I've done this for a few years. I'm going to go and throw it all away and, and, and be a successful artist to make money that way.
3: Um, I, when I first moved to London, I was 23 and I was single, and I didn't really care about having enough money to do anything other than meet up with friends, you know, on a Friday. Or maybe more more nights than a Friday, and have like a few <gasps> pints and things really? like that. <laughs> so <I'm> shocked! <laughs> I, d- I didn't really see it as anything more long term than that in the beginning, and it was just so much fun being in London. And then I met my now husband actually about a year after that, and about two years after that, I'd been there about four years. And once once we started wanting to settle down and have a bit more out of life, and I always wanted my own dogs and things like that. You just these things just aren't possible in London, unless you work in the you know, in, in the banking sector or something like that. So we, my husband actually got, he's a journalist as well. He got his big break at the BBC, which is now in Manchester. And so that was kind of our meal ticket back to the north and mm-hmm. and kind of a time for me to make a choice about changing, basically. And, and I think I was ready to do that. I think five years, it wasn't really me. And I kind of exhausted it of the things that I was going to get out of it. So it was just, it was just a nice time to, to take a step back and do something different.
2: And one of the things I've always been fascinated by is somebody who's had, um, well, I mean, unsurprisingly, very little education in any way, shape or form, but specifically no education in um, arts or photography. What kind of things was it that when you went back to do your master's, what was it you got from that whilst you were doing that?
3: I did an art history master's in the University of Manchester, which was a very interesting experience because it's a very small department and it's very, very niche and I came with absolutely no knowledge of art history, and I'd been out of education for a long time, and I wasn't particularly that academic to be honest and so I struggled in a lot of ways with it to keep up and you know they were reading Proust like within like two weeks and things like that I, I don't know if if you know Proust but it's like there's it like six volumes and they're like seven hundred pages each and it's very dense and so I found that quite difficult but there was this um there was this one moment where one of the tutors showed me the photographs of Sally Mann and I just, I just never seen photographs like that. Like you always have an idea of a photograph of being like these, I guess you look at commercial photographs and and that's the sort of images you're exposed to most. And so that's your understanding of what they are. And then I saw these photographs by Sally Mann and she's a wet plate collodion Mm -hmm. photographer. And they were just, they were just absolutely beautiful and like all the film on the top had had cracked and she printed them anyway. And then there was all light leaks around them and they were just they were just amazing and then that just really opened up my eyes to thinking about what photography could be and then i was just really interested in you know more analog methods that way i think
2: it's amazing so what, why why we what was the sort of the impetus between the history of art then what, what was it that drew you to that
3: i think i was looking for something when i came back to manchester i sort of had to find something because i kind of given everything up and i thought right well I'm going to have to do something, and how am I going to get back into the arts? And so I thought learning about um, art history was just a way in, and I kind of relied on university beforehand in getting my first degree to kind of lead me somewhere, so so I kind of went back to do that. And it was kind of, I saw it as a starting point.
2: Gotcha. It seems to have worked pretty well.
3: Mm. In some ways, yeah. I think so. (laughs) It's all right. It's all right now. I think I
0: think you need some sort of award for bravery actually Nikki. I mean I I remember the times uh, it's ooh, 25 years ago for me now that I dropped out of university um uh and and it's 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 hard uh I, I still have when you know when you know when you have stress dreams some of my stress dreams are still about being late for college lectures <laughs> it's like 25 really? years oh, on. Eh? oh yeah 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 but it's it's uh I think be that what you've done there to 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 take something that was re- that was uh, you know a lot of people as Graham said would be uh would be um very uh, find it very hard to to leave something like that. So I think what you've done and, and following the dream is a very brave thing. So I I'm I'm very impressed actually, I have to say. Oh thanks.
3: Yeah it was um I my husband went to Durham University and a lot of those people tend to filter out into the big four, you know, the accountancy firms like the KPMGs and the Price Waterhouse Coopers. So they tend to have like a route from Durham university to to their direct. And so we used to bump into them in London quite a lot. And there was this one person that we bumped into actually weirdly, we bumped into him on our honeymoon up the top of a mountain in Borneo, just totally. (laughs) And he just, he was saying to me about he had this job, which paid a lot of money. And he was just saying that he absolutely hated it. He absolutely hated it, but he couldn't, he couldn't leave it because you know his lifestyle was now built around the money and all his friends were there and you know there's a lot of stuff that comes with a job like that and he just said he he hated it but he'd be there probably for the next 20-25 years and I just thought that I just didn't I didn't want to do that and the longer I stayed in it the more you get stuck into things like
1: that. That's so so scary isn't it? I I find that more scary that idea of you're, you're stuck I mean 20 years of your life for you know it's like being in prison for 20 years isn't it like if you're in something that you absolutely hate just think gosh what you're giving up that's more scary than being brave and going and doing it in a way isn't it I think gosh yeah, and most of the time most of the time
3: nothing bad really happens when you do these things mm-hmm. I-, I think a lot of it is like you know, you're anxious about what might, you know, nothing bad really happens. Most of the time, you, you generally survive stuff like
0: this,
1: mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Interesting stuff. Food for thought. Uh, and uh, tell us again, Nikki, um, where is the exhibition and when and uh, where should our listeners go online to see the work?
3: So it's called Hidden Worlds and there's going to be six photographers there. We're all doing different projects, but under that one theme called Hidden Worlds um it's going to be really great there's there's been some really amazing collaborations like one of them is has collaborated with um the liverpool poet brian Patton, mm-hmm. and so he's written like a new poem specifically for this photography exhibition with him so there's, there's really cool stuff like that going on and that's going to be showing at the adelphi hotel in liverpool on the opening weekend of the biennial on the 13th of july and it'll run till the till the 16th
0: excellent and for those that can't, for those of us that can't make it and I can't make it, I'm afraid, uh, to see the show for real. Um, is there anywhere online that you would like to point listeners to? You
3: can have a look at our website, which is uniocollective.co.uk. Um actually no, it might be uniocollective.com. both and see what
1: Hold on, I have it literally here. It's dot .com, Nikki. Yeah. It, it wasn't was very com. slick of me, that one, was it? <laughs> it's fine. Um, it's unio, which is uniocollective.com. Yeah.
3: And actually, Instagram is probably best. We're we're best on there. It's um, it's at unio underscore collective. So that's a better platform, I think. It's more interactive.
0: Okay, brilliant. Well, really, really good luck with it. I hope uh, the exhibition goes uh, brilliantly for you all. Um, And, uh, you know, it'd be great to, uh, to, to find out from you afterwards as well how it went. So please stay in touch.
3: Yeah, thanks very much. I really enjoyed it. This, this has been much less anxiety-inducing than the last one. I think I'm breaking <laughs> into it.
0: <laughs> it does take Fantastic. a while. It does. Yeah. If, if, if you want to really hear something painful, go back and listen to the first couple that me and Graham did together. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, would... you're
3: laughing, but I might do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Save and, yourself. Uh, Vicky, save yourself. And on that note, I think I'd better hurry us into a break before anybody actually goes and does that. <laughs> um, okay, so we will be back in a minute. Round two, and we're back. How is everybody after that little break? Uh, now we finished uh, discussing and tearing apart fairy
2: tales. <laughs> all good, all good. Do- we-, 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 we come to conclusion that Pinocchio is a bit of a dick, and <laughs> we're moving on from there.
0: <laughs> yes, dear list, dear listeners. Sometimes our, our our tangential conversations during the breaks are even more tangential than they are during the recording sessions. So there we go. That was a bit of fun. Anyway, back. Try and claw our way back to the show. <laughs> Uh, Rach what have you been up to this week?
1: So uh, yeah this week's been another pretty busy week for me uh, to be honest I uh, went and finished off the rest of arts week workshops that I was doing in the primary school and uh, put together two big frames for each of the classes so they've now got a whole Extra wall of artwork to go up, which is which is great, and I was obviously super lucky with the sun being out so so much over the over the week, so that was lovely actually. To it's chaotic, but a lot of fun doing that. And the Birmingham project that I started, gosh, back in November, they finally got it uh, got it finished and and um, printed and um, framed and what have you. So that's actually gone up, and um, in the in the commercial building in Birmingham, so that's really cool. I'll I have, I'll have to, to, say- to have a little day trip out
0: that is amazing i I saw a photograph you shared with us of that it's (laughs) like i mean not only is it like really really big and blue (laughs) but it it, it, but it is amazing
2: yeah it's properly brilliant i i I really hope that at some point um we'll have to arrange a a get together because i really want to go and see it in the paper
1: in the, yeah, in uh, yeah, no, thank you very much. That's really sweet of you to say. I was like, Oh, it kind of looks okay, I think, and I was like, I'll send it over. And you were like, That looks cool. <laughs> so, hey, can I see this as well? If you're oh, going, can I come? I, I will let you know, don't worry, I'll let you know. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's on five floors, there's five five different pieces that I created. I, I shot it, I don't know if you know, Nikki, I shot it on um uh like pinhole and large format and what have you um set up a little pop-up dark room on site so i could uh process there basically because obviously otherwise it was going to be backwards and forwards to liverpool and taking a load of time out so i thought if i just set it up here it makes sense i can go and shoot and then go and process it and see if anything comes out because i had quite a few disasters to begin with but i finally managed to get um i probably shot about 15 frames in the end that I was happy with, uh, four by five. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so from them uh, I took, I, I I chose five final images and they are now uh, on sort of like three metres wide. You were talking about the blue backs, actually. Uh, so similar kind of size, I think, like three oh, metres wow. wide by about... That's exciting, 20, isn't it? Anything massive is exciting. Yeah. It was the first time I <laughs> actually created anything. Like, as, we clip that out. <laughs> what <laughs>
2: nothing nothing sorry oh. just, just...
1: um it was the first time i created anything as um as big as that as a, as an artwork if you like so that was that was really cool to uh to kind of go ooh. but also you know, quite terrifying because if it's a mistake, it's a really bloody big mistake.
0: (laughs) I'd like to know, Rach, Ashley, right, if that's the first time you've created an artwork that big, what else have you created that was three metres across? I don't think I've ever created anything in my life that was three metres across.
1: (laughs) Well, actually, you see, I said artwork, but actually I have done something that is as big as that and it was kind of like night drawing. So it was when I took pinhole photos, but then uh, converted them and projected them and then worked back into them with like charcoal and paints and things to create some... Uh, like boarding for the side of a building so yeah actually uh, I just lied (laughs) I haven't uh, I have created something like as big as that uh, before but but not of this type so uh, so yeah it was it was a whole cool experience to do that and um, from being up on the like rooftop overlooking Birmingham and like having the pop-up darkroom on site and then finally after all after all the time of uh you know backwards and forwards and sorting it out and finishing it off and and yeah now sort of seeing the client sent over a few little snapshots and said oh i've just grabbed a few sna- snapshots to show you uh, how it looks uh, so that was that was really cool so i'm I'm glad how did you mm. how did you print that size rachel did someone do that for you or do you do that yeah they, they they basically wanted the final um the high-res files as digital files from me so I gave that to the client in the end and then they went to a printer's to get that printed printed up so that's how they wanted to do it that particular occasion yeah so that was a project that I did through a an artist agency in Liverpool who they, they put out various different work, um, sort of various different jobs and say, oh, if you're interested, apply for this, obviously to their members and things. So, yeah, so I had applied for it and they uh, and I had to do an interview. and they, Well, they chose from a, a sort of whoever. Um, sort of sent in their proposals narrowed it down and then they did like a shortlist and then we had to go and meet the client spoke to them showed them more of the work and then they narrowed it down to myself and another uh, chap but they couldn't decide between us so they said actually we'll split the job in two because they like both of our work uh, it's quite different he was shooting all digital and obviously what i was doing was very different it was cyanotype and pinhole and what have you so <clears throat> he was using he was creating some artwork for the uh sort of like atrium area and then mine were for the five floors as you come out of the different lifts on the on the different five five floors of the building um so yeah so it's kind of nice actually that we both got to sort of work on the project together but doing our own thing if you like so that was really cool uh
2: seen so, his yeah. work? Great.
1: i haven't i haven't had a chance yet to to see mark's work so uh i, I haven't seen my own either uh, only on the little snapshots on my phone so it will be, it'll be nice to go and see it in, in person at some point hopefully soon that'll be good Cool. so yeah so i've been doing workshops this week that's gone up and then i went to make fest on saturday um with my doing my sort of like first little soft launch for my sun print card make your own sun print cards and pinhole viewer kits and things and there's been some nice responses from that so that's all lovely and uh, i'm excited to see where where that goes
0: Excellent. so it's been a busy week <laughs> that's a busy that's a busy week but it's not just a busy week it's the culmination of something you've worked really hard on and 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 you know got the got the results of something so that's that's awesome I'm I'm really I'm really chuffed for you thank
1: you very
0: much that's uh, okay cool <laughs> anyway all right so uh Graham top that
2: mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay well i um bought a roll of film this week no i bought two rolls of film this week so that's Ooh. pretty good um yeah i mean i it's not been a great week for me in terms of photographic excitement i'm afraid but um i got my camera back from um londinian cameras uh so um that's fantastic so the camera i sent off because i don't know whether you guys remember but um hey listener uh very kindly and i'm gonna have to because my memory is going to fail me horribly here um a listener very kindly sent me a camera a while back um when my uh Yashika tlr died mm-hmm. um and that listener was because crumbs it was a while ago now so i'm a bad person uh chad um chad herbert very kindly um sent me a camera pretty sure that's right um <laughs> sorry chad if it's not um and Um, Chad had already fixed the shutter on it, which is what had been going wrong with it, but the camera spent so long in transit that I think what had happened was that some of the grease had shifted around because it it went all the way over to the russia and all sorts did it get of to Moscow. i think
1: yeah i was gonna yes, say i exactly. seem to remember it, it went from like britain to moscow back to britain
2: <laughs> yeah so i got the camera and I having I was like, oh great it's fantastic it's all fine and then after a few goes with it the shutter started to stick I was like oh no and I, i'm not gonna attempt taking these things apart because that's the end of that for me so um i sent it off to Lyndon at london londinium cameras and it was great he got it he checked it out went oh yep yeah, this is gummed up, it just needs a flush through he did that, got it done for me very quickly and got it sent back and now it's all working properly again and so I've got a roll of film in that and um, I've been off shooting with that so that's really nice um, and I called into a Secondhand Darkroom which is my local lovely Aladdin's cave shop um, which I always like to pop into whenever I'm passing by and yes
3: uh, oh yeah I've been there it's I've great, just did it isn't it? One time, it's amazing. Sorry to
2: interrupt. Yeah. No, 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 it's good. No, it's it's on my doorstep, so it's great. I actually. I was oh, on my, you're so lucky. Uh, well, you say that, but it's also like you go in there and go. Well, I could just, you know, spend every penny I've got and then borrow a load of money and spend all of that too. <laughs> um, but I, I mainly called in because I wanted to ask for advice on lenses for Ronald, um, because at the moment the lens Ronald got has got on him is a 180 millimeter lens, which is just a bit long for what i'm doing with him um because it's on the long side of standard and because at the moment i'm mostly taking pictures of stationary things whilst i'm trying to get used to using ronald my four by five massive you'd you'd like him nicky because he's massive so he's very exciting um and whilst i'm getting used to using him um i I, because i'm doing more you know pictures of houses pictures of not exactly landscaping but garden stuff. i want more in the picture and 180 millimeters is just a bit too short um or a bit too longer focal i don't know what the equivalent of that is but it kind of feels like it's
0: i was just going to ask you that actually what's the equivalent i don't know what the crop i don't know ratio, i don't know what the crop uh, keep, keep talking and i'll see if i can look you it find up. out
2: yeah so anyway I went in and asked his advice and um, uh, long story short I don't think it's going to be particularly practical for me to put a new lens on Ronald because I only have the one lens board for this camera and because it is an old and not particularly common camera um they're not cheap to pick up new lens boards for it and uh, getting the one that's on there off also <laughs> looks like it might be harder than it ought to be so it's fine I'm going to continue just practicing with the one that I've got with a view to at some point replacing Ronald and, and then getting some easier and getting a you know 150 millimeter lens or something wider than that so so that was good but I also picked up whilst I was there um a roll of um 35mm SFX film uh, from Ilford because I thought, oh, I know. Because oh, they had some, so I was like, oh, I fancy some of that. And that's what I'm going to use for the Cheap shots Challenge because this seems like a good idea. I'm not learning any lessons from the fact that so far, almost every time we've done the Cheap shots Challenge, I've put an inappropriate roll of film in and I'm going to do the same thing again. And I'm going to go with um, this Ilford SFX and then I'm going to shove an incredibly dark red filter on the front of it and I, you know I was gonna
3: there. say why don't you put a red filter on the front and just embrace the whole thing
2: I'm going to that's absolutely what I'm going to do um I've got a um it's it was when I bought cheap on eBay but it's kind of like was it the R72 kind of Darkness level—the one where you you can't see through it. So I'm sure that'll be fine for metering and stuff like that, um, <laughs> on oh, my point-and-shoot essentially camera. So yeah, that's what I'm going to give a go at. So I'm kind of one step closer to um, absolutely winning the uh, next round of the cheap shots challenge because of the fact that I'll be doing kind of a infrared which will definitely make it good <laughs> I've I've, never... I've,
0: I've, I have done that actually I've done that with a red filter uh, just on a, uh, a, a roll of SFX uh, you know, in a normal 35mm camera and a red filter on the front um, I had the advantage when I did it that it was an SLR with through the lens metering so, so I didn't have to worry about calculating the, the differences but uh, I expect the filter, if you've got a filter, you'll find out what, just take a couple of stops off or three stops off
2: or, you know, wing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's absolutely what I'm going to do. So, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to that. But yeah, it's always nice popping into the secondhand darkroom because um, they do have some lovely stuff there. And uh, it was interesting. I, I always like also just chatting because it's you know, they're, they're really busy there. And we were talking about the... Um, uh, it's John, I think, is the gentleman who runs the place. I get confused um, with names, obviously, which is why I forgot Chad Herbert's name for a bit. Sorry, Chad. Um, but anyway, um, and he was saying how he's been busy because it's getting towards the end of the um, uh, educational year. And so all the universities and the colleges are kind of spending the last of their budget on new darkroom equipment. And um, it's it's great to hear that darkrooms are all getting put back together again you know after they ditched all their stuff in favor of digital you know 10 15 years ago they're now buying it all back up again He said the biggest problem that he's hitting is having enough of the things that they want to keep it going so um <laughs> it's a it's a good good situation to be in well i mean not for him probably but it's, it's good for us to hear that they are a lot of universities and colleges are, are setting their dark rooms back up again
0: that is that is cool. That is cool, and that's given me long enough to look up the crop factor on a four by five camera. It's a, rever- it's a reverse crop factor, so it it, it says here on this web page I found three point four. But so you have to sort of divide by three point four rather than multiply. So it works out that hundred and eighty mil is about fifty three mil, roughly in thirty five millimeter equivalent. So yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It, yeah, I can imagine that being a little bit tight for the kind of stuff you want to be doing.
2: Yeah, as I said, at the moment it is. I mean, 50 mil is generally my sort of preferred go-to, but I don't think I'm going to be doing any wandering around street photography stuff with Ronald anytime soon.
0: Stealthy, <laughs> so you know, be pretty
2: funny with it. <laughs> yeah, he's a pretty pretty sleek little number, or oh, Ronald. But uh, yeah, I think the guy at the um, second-hand darkroom, John, was like, "This seems like quite a big lump of yeah." You know, hmm, it might not have been the best buy I ever made, but never mind. Keeps me quietly amused. Oh well, good
0: stuff. Good stuff. So, oh, I'm like uh, for myself on a news front. Uh, little to share in the way of photography this week, but I will tell you what. Yesterday, I went to see a a uh, talking about puppets, a music and puppet show yesterday, fam, family show. But I, I'm gonna. This is more of a shout out than it is anything else. Uh, it was an awesome show. Uh, two two people. Uh, a fella who was a puppeteer and uh, a girl who did all the music. And uh, they were awesome. Um, uh, and i put a link in the show notes. Uh, mm. They're called Half a String. And the show we went to see was called A Heart at Sea. And um, it, it was it, it, and it definitely, very definitely analog art. And a lot of makerism in there as well, Rach, actually. The, all the yeah. puppets they made themselves and uh, you know and all the sets they made themselves and 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 the girl who did the music she was playing lot uh different instruments so there was some some uh technology in there as well she was doing live looping of of sounds and stuff like that to make the music flow with just the mm. two of them but um i absolutely would recommend uh anybody to go and see that you, you don't need to have children although it'll help people not to look at you weirdly um <laughs> but, it, <laughs> but you certainly don't need to have children to enjoy it i would have enjoyed it just as it was
1: I think it looks absolutely beautiful. I saw the link that you sent, and uh, yeah, it's that seems right up my street. Like you say, yeah, lots of um, uh, kinetic stuff, lots of moving and makery things and puppets. Uh, I know a few puppeteers actually, and absolutely love what they do. As you say, it all feels again very analog, which is really nice. It so, does. It was um, really. It
0: was really. Uh, I don't know. I don't like using words like this. So it makes me feel pretentious. But it was quite organic <laughs> the way they did it. Sure. Yeah. and you know it felt yeah and it was a very small studio where the show was on and uh at our local arts center and yeah anyway just it it it, it looks okay on the website it doesn't really do it justice on the website mm. um but but uh if they come round your way wherever you might be any of you listening out there um go see them because it's good
1: fabulous thanks ed
0: oh and then there's a news item we have as well Is there, who
2: who's popped a news item into the show notes this week It's
1: graham graham put that, that one in
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That was me. Yes. Well, no, just um, a chap called Marco Barbereschi got in touch with me. Uh, and this is, follows on really nicely, actually, from the last couple of weeks on the podcast. So, if you've enjoyed hearing about things like film souping and double films over the last couple of weeks, you may well be in- interested in Yodica films or Yodica films or Yodica films because they're from Italy. I don't know. Um. Anyway, <laughs> this is a new brand of films um, which are coming out. You can find them on your um on instagram at the moment it's probably the best place um which is uh at uh y-o-d-i-c-a films um and in a similar kind of vein to things like the reanimated films um and you know double and all that stuff um these are films that have been manipulated to give them special effects um, and there's some pretty funky effects going on with them. Um, they've got seven different varieties at the moment and they've all got sort of, uh, astrological names things like Sirio, Vega uh, what else we've got, named? Polaris, Pegasus um, they are super colourful, so like Pegasus is banded like a rainbow. So you kind of got like a rainbow effect going across the whole frame of the photo. Um, And yeah, they're quite fun. They look look quite fun. They look, um, some of them are more, Subtle and others, so the Pegasus in particular is, well, it looks like a rainbow of colours going across your film, so that's not terribly subtle. Uh, others are more subtle. Um, but, yeah, if that kind of thing appeals to you, definitely check them out. Um, they, Um I think all their range, they're all coloured negative films and they're all 400 speed. I've got no idea what's being used as a base, but, um yeah, it could be interesting. And I think what I like about it is it looks as though the effects on all of the films are uniform so um you can look at and you can kind of anticipate where on the frame the color is going to shift because the color shifts are drastic you know these are not subtle effects on most of these films they're quite drastic um but at least you can work with in a predictable way uh and as far as getting hold of these things these are being launched on you'll be unsurprised to hear analog wonderland on i think uh friday the 13th same day as your exhibition kicks off nikki so um yeah check it out like I said, if you like that kind of thing if you're interested in stuff like um the reanimator the kona the double stuff um or the Revelog things um check out yodica uh, they are a new company coming out of italy and i um, mean yeah, it looks interesting i have know nothing more about that i have a strong suspicion that um kate hook who we spoke to last week may well be doing videos on them soon because that seems like the kind of thing she would be doing videos on so keep an eye out for that
0: it's time for some emails which means uh, graham it's over to you because you are in charge of the email
2: I, I am king, king don't, don't the abuse emails. the
0: authority don't abuse the authority or the listeners don't abuse the listeners either well do you want to take
2: this first one from Paul friday then <laughs> why are you not
0: <laughs> are you suggesting you can't do this without abusing our listeners
2: i mean that's a known fact <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay all right i'll be the grown-up one then so hi to paul friday thank you paul for sending us an email he says dearest sunbeams attached are my entries oh this is a cheap shots one then okay cool. yeah both taken with ted ha. <gasps> Ted,
2: <laughs> Ted the, the ergonomic disaster you remember the Rico Mariah, which we all very much enjoyed when we were doing the Cheap Shots challenge uh, remember that thing
0: yes it's coming back now Can somebody passed me a bucket um, uh, <laughs> Paul says I am still fighting it to make a sensible exposure combinations and for the autofocus to pay attention to the scenery and not the front element of the lens thank goodness for Ilford film the grim shot is West Yorkshire <laughs> <laughs> where do you go with that <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, the other one North, uh, does that mean North Yorkshire um, you wouldn't yeah. think they would have to label landscape in North Yorkshire perhaps it's for the townies <laughs> quite possibly um, and a separate serious question for the listeners Ooh, okay. has anyone had any success at all at using an opaque IR filter and a red sensitive film like Retro 80s How did you get it to work? All I get is blank film. And yes, it does have an exposed leader and frame numbers, so I know I didn't develop it in Fixer. (laughs) I'm using a 720 nanometer filter and exposing around 3 to 6 ISO.
2: Well we have I know there's lots of people in the community who are shooting with um infrared film here about it quite frequently. I know uh Corey, Corey Cannon from the Lensless Podcast, um, is quite big on his uh, IR stuff. So um I'm sure he can chime ch-, ch chime in and give us some advice on that. Um and at least Paul, you know that I'm about to delve down this same hole of stupid, so um I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be absolutely fine. But no, I mean uh, depending on what camera you're shooting it with, um not, yeah, I'm trying to think how many stops they recommend with the the seven 720 nanometer film. I, I don't know, but um, yeah, there are definitely people out there shooting it. So please get in touch, listeners, and uh, let us know any techniques for me and for Paul to help with that. One.
0: <laughs> so I think uh, I mean, looking at the, uh, I'm just doing a quick Google here. This is not me being an expert, but it seems that the uh, the box speed, if the, so, such as it is, for retro eighties is uh, between 32 and 100. So if this is being exposed at ISO 6, is it? If I remember that rightly. Yeah, 3 to 6. So 32, you would have then 16, then 8, wouldn't you? So that's two stops. Four would be three stops. So you're talking about somewhere around three stops overexposure, three stops allowance on that that Paul is trying it doesn't seem I don't know many many filters other than like things like big stoppers that, that take out more than three stops so
2: is it those mm. the, those they take out a hell of a lot they they do chop a lot of light out those things so
0: do they more than three stops mate? maybe more than three stops the other thing is is it because it's the uh red sensitive stuff do we need to worry about yeah the type of light it's being shot in yeah um does it? Uh, yeah, yeah. And I don't just mean like outdoors versus tungsten. I mean, there, there there are sometimes there's qualities of light, isn't there, that work for IR and then others that don't. Uh, and I don't know how I don't know what those are. Um,
2: uh, yeah, I have, it does I have fluctuate. Heard that. It does fluctuate throughout the day. Um, I think there's more around the middle of the day than there is around the mornings and the evenings. Although that said, from what I was reading, I can't even remember where I was reading this, but it was very recently. In the evenings, um, the amount of uh, IR light to other light is actually quite good. So although there's not a lot of light full stop, the proportions are quite good. So you can still shoot it then. Um, but also, you know, if you're shooting it later and you're shooting those very low ISOs, you also have to factor in what the reciprocity failure is going to be like if you're having to go for long exposure. So that could also be coming into it. Um so yeah, there's quite a lot of stuff that can affect that. But I mean you should be getting something. Um but no I've I've not uh, you know, like I said, this Ilford SFX is gonna be my first exploration and and that's a faux um, IR film anyway so I'm kind of hoping that that will cope with stuff but um, yeah anybody who's got more experience with that please do get in touch
0: yes please email I, us that... it's only 16 at podcast at gmail.com sorry oh, I'm sorry I messed it up for you no no it's alright no no sorry just
3: go ahead Um, the SFX film I used it in my Yoshika I only used it once with a red filter on the lens and I went to Formby with it it was really really bright and I got some really good contrasty results with it
2: really so That's like proper excellent.
3: middle of the day proper super bright yeah really enhance that contrasty thing that you go for with it as well
2: excellent stuff I, i'm really looking for I, I bought a roll of 120 sfx last year and just never got around to using it uh, but i think it's more likely i will get around to using the 35 because i'm just sling it in and just well, I'm going to. I'm going to use it for the cheap shots, Johnny, so we'll see how that goes. It'll be an adventure. Um, right, next email. Um, do you want to take the one next one, Rach, from um, Fraser Yule?
1: From Fraser? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Fraser says, Hello all from a ridiculously sunny Scotland. I'm pretty new to film, and to my wife's dismay, I have stumbled across the Sunny 16 <laughs> podcast. <laughs>
2: to Oops. many people's dismay.
0: My, my wife is just fairly thinking. dismayed about the Sunny 16 podcast as <laughs> well. <laughs>
1: So it's my husband. Yay. <laughs> um, okay, so um Lots of uh, spouse upset there. Uh, It says, with the inevitable results of camera purchases stocking up on random film as if manufacturers were all going out of business and hence a ban from the kitchen fridge. Apparently it's for food, not films. I'm not sure if the ban covers beer too and I'm too scared to (laughs) test the theory. (laughs) Why
0: why would they have like shelves in the doors of fridges if it wasn't to put your film in?
1: Exactly, exactly. So it says, anyhow. Car boot sale visited, and a brace of Olympus, Olympi. Um, uh, Muji cameras procured mm-hmm. for a whole
2: five what, what, did, what did you say, Muji? Mu- yeah. You mean Mew? Mew. <laughs> Mujis. That's why you're not allowed to have one, Rachel, because you can't say the name properly. Fair enough,
1: fair enough. Um, so, uh, oh, I've, lost, I've lost where my line was now. Okay, sorry. Two cameras sorry. for five quid. Apparently so. Or a brace of. So I don't even know. It might even be more than two. Procured <laughs> uh, for a whole £5. Pounds. One even with film, alas, no batteries. But they both sparked into life quite merrily when shown a fresh battery. One of the cameras was a, a Mew 2 Zoom 80 in champagne, if that makes oh, it any oh, better.
0: champagne. Love it.
1: Um, but as it has such modern features as a Zoom and comedy pop, pop <laughs> flash, I thought I would give the original Plain Jane Mew one, the dubious or wondrous distinction of being the cheap shot camera. It seems more in keeping with the ethos of this all to use the most basic beaten up one. <laughs> that is true. Fraser. That is definitely true. It's been one hell of a reawakening for this little chap. In just two weeks, he's travelled a bit with me and um, and we decided he ought to head into the sky in a hot air balloon. Well, where else to get some landscape shots from? Oh, my goodness.
2: All,
0: all right, this sunshine. Some... Yeah. Good stuff. Uh,
1: He says, all this sunshine didn't really play fair, though, and with an early uh, air balloon flight, the sun was very low and bright, so the attached shots are more of a literal landscape, a celebration of the land. Shot on Fuji C200, sourced locally for 199 a roll. Making this exotic combo worth four forty nine. I am Scottish after all. He says that <laughs> in brackets. Just so you know, um, utility room development in the techno kit and scanned in on an Epson seven fifty. Please enjoy it and don't laugh too much. Off to eBay now to feed my gas habit. It's all your fault, she says so. <laughs> sorry about that to Fraser's wife.
2: <laughs> oh, sorry not sorry at all (laughs) and now that's the fun of it (laughs) or part of the fun of it anyway yeah Yeah.
1: and and lovely to hear from you uh, and uh, especially being a a new listener and a new emailer in so thanks for getting in touch
2: right the next email is from Ronnie Brandon friend of the show Uh, this is a good long one so buckle up listeners Ronnie writes in hey Sunbeams after chickening out of previous rounds I finally got off my bum to have a go at landscapes for the cheap shots challenge My weapon of choice here is a Kodak Brownie Flash 4 box camera made in England circa 1957 and picked up for a fiver in a charity shop selected for its features it shoots six by nine negatives and has a bulb mode as well as built-in yellow and close-up filters it also cuts a dash in its brown tweed livery its looks are negated by the shooting experience unfortunately but more of that later (laughs) um now rich i don't know whether you remember when you were at my i've got one of these cameras do you remember that funky brown
1: yeah um, oh is that the one that it was ah i do remember that excellent
2: very swish. Very, <laughs> Very oh, That is
1: that's definitely the word for it. Swish.
2: <laughs> it's a real caravan of a camera in many ways. <laughs> After marveling, oh here we go, infrared again. This is the yeah. week for infrared. After marveling at infrared landscape shots on Flickr and listening to the folks on Flokes <laughs> folks on the classic camera revival, talking about infrared in a box camera, I scoured eBay and picked up some recently expired Ilford SFX two hundred for eight quid. And then realised I'd need an infrared filter. That would have blown the budget many times over. So I had a rummage and pulled out a 25A deep red filter somebody gave me a few years back. Ilford seems to recommend this filter as a minimum and it meant I could stay within the budget. Problem solved. Then I remembered that 120 spools don't fit in 620 cameras, even if you try forcing them. 40 minutes in a dog bag and several expletives later, I had my roll of SFX on a 620 spool. This is also very true. I've shot one roll of film through uh, my Kodak Flash Brownie, and what I did with mine was I took nail clippers to the um, spool and clipped them around the top and bottom of the spool to trim away and it fitted in okay then. Um, So there you go, pro tip. (laughs) I don't know whether it's a good idea or not, but that's what I did. People talk about the problems of focusing when shooting infrared or near-infrared, so I reasoned the Brownies' fixed focus would take care of that, and its F-14 aperture would give good depth of field for landscapes. The internet reckons this film should be rated at 100 ISO, so with the Brownies' fixed 1 40th of a second-ish shutter speed, I'd be about a stopover in good sunlight. Didn't really think about the three stops of light I'd have to compensate for once the red filter was <laughs> fitted, though. I say fitted. Really, I mean precariously balanced on the lens mount. Well, I could deal with long exposures, my brownie being fully equipped with bulb mode, (laughs) tripod socket and threaded cable release, so I dug out my tripod. Listeners of a certain vintage will, I'm sure, remember Fisher-Price toys from their childhoods. I mean, I have my Fisher-Price camera. Well, I can't find their branding on it, but I think Fisher-Price may have made my tripod. (laughs) (laughs) It lacks a head, so has no movement whatsoever besides height adjustment. This is something of a problem when your camera has a tripod brushing only for portrait orientation, and you've decided to shoot landscapes with it. A further snag with my Fisher-Price tripod is its weight. A gentle summer breeze is enough to topple the whole thing over. It turns out this is hardly the ideal setup for long exposures. After three or four shots, I figured I'd have just, I'd have to just plonk the camera on a steady surface and multiply expose a scene or else hold the shutter open for about the length of time the Sunny 16 rule was telling me.
1: I thought he was going to say for the length of time of a Sunny 16 podcast then.
2: (laughs) Not far off. Brilliant fun when you're dealing with exposure times a fraction of a second. An exact science endeavor this was not, so when I finished the roll, I thought I'd try some stand development to compensate for any discrepancies in exposure. And then I managed to snag the door catch and open the back of the camera while removing it from my no. back ruining most of the roll. Oh Yay. my god, Ronnie! <laughs> this oh. is so familiar to me every step of this stupid journey. Amazingly, somehow, I have two actual images through the infrared effects, although the infrared effects of the film seem to vary between the shots. Surprising given the levels of precision and consistency (laughs) employed in my shooting process. The first image I've elected not to submit, a landscape shot only by tenuous virtue of the fact that it contains grass and trees. The second image, though, you'll find attached. Titled, How Infrared Is My Valley?, this was shot in Llangollen, North Wales. You can see the heavily wooded Berwyn Mountains sloping in the background, a little church, and the River Dee ebbing its way through the valley. This was taken from the overhanging platform of the Llangollen steam railway with my brownie resting atop a rickety wooden railing. The red filter hanging on from the front of the lens for dear <laughs> life while I tried to steady the camera with one hand and release the shutter with the other. semi stand developed in Roddenall for 60 minutes and at as close to 20 degrees as I could keep it, given the blistering heat we're currently experiencing. Anyway, do you think this qualifies for the Cheap shots Challenge? Warm <laughs> regards and good light, Ronnie Brandon.
1: Oh, I think we need a round of applause for Ronnie. Welcome, yeah. Ronnie. Look at that. <gasps> Woo! What a delightfully told story.
2: This is what I love. And genuinely, this is what I love about the Cheap Shots Challenge is the stories that it brings out <laughs> of the trials and tribulations that people go through. It is my favourite thing. Um, yes, that's wonderful. And uh, well done, Ronnie, well done, for persevering on that.
1: The effort. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you, you win for effort, right? Right Right here, right now, <laughs> pretty much, because that is amazing. Well done.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: So
0: hey, Aww.
2: You want to take this last one from Bruce Horn?
0: Well, I you just know what? I don't know how Bruce could follow that story, but, <laughs> 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 but but I'll I'll attempt to do Bruce's email some justice. <laughs> he says, "Hello Sunnies. Thanks again for the wonderful podcast. It is always fun oh. to hear you. Oh, thank you very much. Aid, I just wanted to encourage you. Uh if you do sh- take up shooting 8 millimeter movies to by all means try out editing the actual film." Wow okay we were talking about that before weren't we last week I think it was wasn't it and uh, uh, okay so I edited 8mm and 16mm when I was at film school in the 70s and 80s and I must say that the physicality of actually editing on film was one of the greatest parts of the experience that's what you were saying isn't it Rach?
1: It is, yeah. Uh, I'll have to dig out the editor, so uh, it's here, ready to ready to roll whenever you are, Aid. <laughs>
0: uh, okay, all right. So, uh, well, there we go. I've Got the post production suite sorted out. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, absolutely. It's the experience of that, definitely.
0: Yeah. Okay. So Bruce goes on to say, seeing the flame. The f- oh, I can't say that too much. <laughs> seeing the frames flicker by on the editor, breaking them up into cuts and taping them back together. Then watching the whole thing projected in a darkened room was magical. Ah, oh, Rachel, have you got a projector? Uh, I've got a screen. Oh,
1: do you know what I do actually have a well, I, you you were there with me when we bought this when I when I bought this screen and smuggled it into the house. You yeah. see yeah, this is what happens, Nikki. Um uh but actually I do have a projector because it it's actually lit with an oil lamp. So I'm not sure how safe it would be because obviously we've got celluloid. Yeah, I'll I'll have a think about
0: it. Okay, all right. So it's, yes, this reminds you of a cartoon I saw uh, recently, <laughs> like a, a a a sketched cartoon, yeah. Yeah, uh, of uh, uh, of of two two people standing in what was obviously a a, a hi fi and and a record collection, and uh, the one guy is saying to the other guy, he says it's it's the expense and the complexity that appeals to me, <laughs> 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 or words to that effect, anyway. Yeah. uh But so so uh, yeah, no, okay, right. So what else do we need? Let's let's get on with uh, Bruce's email. Um, running a cut backwards and forwards through the editor multiple times trimming off a few frames at a time until it was just perfect is something that is just not as much fun in a digital world okay i can i can believe that yes for most types of filmmaking you do need to plan things out in advance but even with the most carefully planned movies there are always surprises that happen during the shooting and editing some of those surprises turn out to be wonderful additions to the end result and it doesn't have to be all that expensive well, that's good news you can actually tell quite a good story in three to ten minutes if you plan it out carefully take a look at the silent films of the millies brothers that's got to be the wrong pronunciation um and others from that time annuals and i think you can see great examples of this just don't do what i did at the end of film school and move up to 16 mil unless you were really ready to drop some serious coinage that can quickly get much more expensive than eight mil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess there's a lot more, the, the, the film is more expensive and I guess yeah. the, the processing, the processing. more as well.
1: The, the film noir, the there was a 16 mil was 16 mil. And that's why that was, like I say, it was, I think it was three grand or something for the actual film and processing. So yeah, it, He's basically saying the same thing. I think you know, eight mil and uh, sixteen mil, quite a quite a step up.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. So I'm not going to go and seek my next family holiday on seventy mil then and put it on an IMAX. <laughs>
2: yeah. oh, okay. Uh, just just very quick point. Um, the uh, the the films at uh, Melier I think is perhaps because they were French, not Melies. <laughs> just one. Okay. <laughs> I, I did know. say
0: that I did say the pronunciation would be wrong, but thank you thank you, uh, Mr. Culture, for the correction.
1: It's because he said La <laughs> Golan. Do you know what
0: I was going to say? I was going to compliment you on your, uh, well, I, I, on what I perceived to be really good Welsh pronunciation. I may be completely offbeat, but it sounded legit. <laughs> so, well, thanks, I, I thanks. thought
1: the same. I was very impressed. It was so. Strange. Oh, don't, don't. Say... No, no. He doesn't get that. He he had to go I at me for saying Muji. <laughs>
0: I, I think, <laughs> That's true. I yeah, think, think it was, but you did say did. Muji. <laughs>
1: yeah, I did. It's very hot and very late, so leave me alone. <laughs>
0: Uh, okay yeah. let's let's see if we can complete bruce's email um, sorry bruce as, as, as bruce says lastly okay nearly there um i would highly recommend a short book about making films by the poet and poetic filmmaker james broughton although that could be james broughton depending on the pronunciation <laughs> uh called seeing the light as well as the many films of his that can be found on the internet. cheers bruce horn okay excellent well thank you very much so we can um yeah so some stuff to think about there i i am intrigued by this whole movie making thing um uh I, I i don't have a camera or a projector or an editing suite or any of the other or any film
1: it's uh, fine between graham and myself i'm sure we can cobble something together i think we've probably got about four different eight mil cameras between us haven't we and yeah. uh and an edit suite and all sorts of stuff well do yeah, any of I'm them sure actually
2: can... work yeah my, yeah my super eight camera d- does work i've got because i've got there's eight millimeter and the super eight and i think eight millimeter you the plain eight mil you don't want to deal with because i don't think you can get the film for that anymore but super eight you can and um yeah i'm pretty sure the super eight camera i've got it works it's a canon um it's, you know like i said it all seems to be fine picked up from a car boot sale uh thinking oh maybe one day i'll, I'll, I'll never shoot <laughs> i definitely will never shoot it because it's um you know just not a thing that i can you know, get into but uh um no all seems to be fine i put batteries in it and fire up and it makes clicky noises and goes very cool oh well it must be fine then <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> that's an adventure for another day thank okay. you very much bruce
0: okay well there we go that is our uh, listener emails uh for this week which i think brings us to the end of the show unless anybody has any other business uh rach any other business
1: Uh, no i think i think i'm i'm good i was just gonna ask nikki if there was anybody that she'd like us to to, like to point us towards anybody who sort of inspires her or anybody else that she works with who she might like to uh, mention um i'm on the spot now oh sorry sorry this
3: question that's all right
1: Uh, photography
3: wise specifically photography or something that's inspired a project yeah either either um I'm actually reading a little book from 1955 called A Gift from the Sea mm. and it's about women and gender identity but in a really really nice down to earth way and it's it talks about shells and things like that but it's a really smart little book and um yeah, it's just really interesting to read in terms of like you know all the me too and all that stuff going on mm. at the minute so that's
1: inspired a new photography project for me Fantastic that's really interesting I will check that out thanks very much
0: okay uh graham any other business from you
2: uh i don't think so if yep i think my adult brain is petering out now so no let's just move oh, on I'm glad to hear it
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and listen you know stay safe out there dude you know plenty of sunscreen plenty of water
2: nice big floppy hat i have all of these things i, I have a very big sartorial
1: hat. elegance knows no bounds when it comes to you does it graham
2: uh, well <laughs> it no it just doesn't know me sartorial <laughs> elegance does not know me i'm very glad that i work in an environment where other human beings don't see me that's all i can say on that <laughs> okay you're right. and on
1: that note (laughs) and and on that
0: note yes um the modeling career is is not up to snuff just yet all right okay and on that note i think that is then the end of the show uh thank you once again nikki for for joining us have you enjoyed yourself
3: i've really enjoyed myself the bits in between the stuff that everybody heard was um Extraordinarily entertaining as well.
0: <laughs> Shh, <laughs> um, you're not supposed the, to talk about yeah, those bits. Those
1: are behind the curtain, like, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah, they don't exist. You're very witty. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay all right thank you well thank and and thank you everybody for listening uh this week you can get in touch with us on the internet of course uh our website is sunny16podcast.com where you can find all the shows and uh all the uh shots from the last round of the cheap shots challenge uh last two rounds actually i think uh you can email us sunny16podcast at gmail.com and you can get us on the social webs sunny16podcast on instagram twitter facebook uh, I think that's all the social webs. Has anybody made an IGTV yet? Not yet, not yet.
2: Good. Glad, uh, to, hear, glad to hear it.
1: No.
2: <laughs> I think I made my first Instagram story for for uh, last week. Um, and that's as far as I've got I went, well, I've done that once I'm never gonna do that again. so I think yeah the IGTV might be a ways away yet
0: okay all right so no sunny 16 podcast on IGTV. everybody go to the normal ones and get us oh, there oh but guess
2: what oh. i'll tell you what is news i have got some quick news we're on spotify now oh yes yeah. oh well done Excellent. so listen if anybody wants to go and listen to us on spotify just so we can say somebody wants to listen to us on spotify that would be great um, but yes we are there um I, following the lead of um our friends over at the analog talk podcast they said oh we're on spotify now and oh I wonder if that's a thing we can get into. It's surprisingly easy. So we are there now. So if you like using Spotify for listening to stuff. I um, use Spotify and,
0: almost every day,
2: actually. So, yeah. Well, there you go. So we are there now. You can find us there. Just search for Sony 16 Podcast and you will find us. And you will also find the Analog Talk guys on there. Okay. All right.
0: Well, there we go. There is. A we are a, a multi-channel organization now. I'm very glad really? to hear it. Uh, which means that the music we're just about to play you out on with uh which is uh by rocker rachel's band and is from the album promises i should have kept uh is also going to be a multi-channel broadcast for this <laughs> show um although i believe you can already get the whole album on spotify but also on amazon or itunes so go check it out and thanks as always to rocker for letting us use their marvelous sounds um that's it folks uh I th-
1: yeah and um, best of luck nikki with the exhibition um oh, on you. on the 13th isn't it yeah
0: absolutely
2: yes Yes. yeah we will put links in the show notes to where people can find out more information about all of that stuff nikki so and and where people can see your work as well so that will all be in the show notes
0: (laughs) brilliant well and on that note folks thank you very much for listening we'll be back next week goodbye
2: Bye. bye